chapter 21, as today we're going to cover Paul's desire, Paul's defense, Paul's denial, and then Paul's destiny. You know, if you were with us last week, you might remember that Paul had gone to Jerusalem, he'd entered the temple, you know, done nothing wrong, he was just submitting to the leadership there in Jerusalem, but you might remember we talked about the fact that he was hated by the Jews because Paul preached the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, and that's what we need to do. That's what we endeavor to do as a church. You know, we just want to tell you, and I don't know if you're here, uh, and maybe you don't know the Lord. Some of you guys, most of you guys probably do, but man, Jesus loves you. Jesus died on a cross for you. Jesus rose again. Jesus can set you free. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you're not committed to him, then that's what you need to do today. And then we'll always lift up his name because that's what it's all about. That's what Paul was doing. He was preaching Jesus. And so he was hated by the religious people there in Jerusalem. And so we read in verse 31, if you go back to Acts 21, that they were seeking to kill him. They were seeking to kill the guy because he was preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what ended up happening is the Roman soldiers rescued him and as they're carrying him up the stairs of the Antonio Fortress, um, we pick it up now in verse 37 of Acts 21. It says, And then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? And he replied, well, Can you speak Greek? Or are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? You know, it's interesting, when you read right here, the commander was under the impression that the man in the middle of this whole thing was an, an Egyptian. And when you go back in history, AD 54, you will find this is something that took place where 4,000 fanatics went up to the Mount of Olives and the guy said he was a prophet. He predicted the walls would fall down. He predicted that the Roman Empire would crumble. And so the governor, Felix, he went and he squashed the rebellion he killed uh, 600, uh, 400 Jews and captured 200 others. And so uh, the, for whatever reason, the guy that was leading that rebellion escaped. And so now the commander thinks that Paul's the guy. He hears him speak Greek and he's, wait a minute, aren't you that guy? And Paul says, no, I'm not the guy. And so what ends up happening is Paul wants to talk to the people. There he replied, can you speak Egyptian? Are, are you not the Egyptian? And then, and then Paul here, he, he says in verse 37 that he wants to speak uh, to the commander because he wants to speak to the people. So put yourself in that situation just for a second. Your life is in danger. You got thousands of people that want to kill you. How many of you here would just want to go and hide inside? You know? <laughs> no, but Paul says, no, I want to speak to them. You know, Paul here, he didn't want to play it safe. He didn't want to get away. Paul wanted the Jews to be saved. And that's got to be our heart, man. Do you have that heart? I mean, seriously, I mean, you, well, we should come to a place in our life as Christians where everybody we come in contact with, family, friends, strangers, extended family, those on the other side of the world, we want everyone to be saved. We should come to that place no matter what, even if it's dangerous in our life, it's okay. And this was where Paul was. He said, I want to speak to you, Mr. Commander, because I want to speak to them. Look what we read next in, in verse 39. But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in, in Cilicia, 
a citizen of no insignificant city, and I implore you, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. And he said, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And and when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. It begins with Paul's desire. This wouldn't have happened if he didn't have a heart for them to be saved. You know, Paul had a desire for the Jews to be saved. And we're going to see that it was a big time desire. And so the commander um, here gives him permission. And one of the things that we're going to see here, we're going to learn from this, you guys, as we share the Lord, as we share our story, as we share our testimony, kind of some things to think of when we're doing that. You know, have you ever shared your story? with other people? Have you ever shared, you know, this is how the Lord Jesus Christ came into my life? You know, how many of you here, when you got saved, it was a radical thing? It's kind of like God struck you with lightning. How many of you here, it was kind of like that? Okay, so a few of you. So for the rest of you here, it was more subtle, right? It took time. Maybe you were raised a Christian or whatever. The rest of you here, you're not saved. And so there's three different types of people here, right? (laughs) And so, but, but whatever the story is, there's always a BC, there's always a time before Christ, there's always that this is how I got saved, or the process, or the day I got saved, and these are the significant things that have happened to me since I've been saved. And that's what Paul is going to share. So his desire was for people to get saved, and part of the way that he's going to reach out to them so that they would get saved is he's going to tell his story. And that's kind of the way it works, you guys. And God's going to bring people into your life and you want them to get saved and you don't know what to say, maybe. You know, you don't know verses or you don't know theology. That takes time, but you do have a story. And And that's what Paul is about to do. And so his desire leads now to his defense, which is really, at the end of the day, just his conversion and how he got saved. And as he begins to share his story and he begins to witness to the people his testimony, he gives um, the testimony in, in what we would call a, a way that would be appeal to them. They, they, they call it tact. Warren Wiersbe said something that's so true, and Paul knew it. It takes tact to have contact, right? And so that's the way we should speak with people. You, know, you don't want to just be a, a, someone not thinking through your words. You want to be a wordsmith, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Like, let's just say you're selling shoes, okay? Let's just say you're a guy, you're a shoe salesman. A lady comes in and, you know, you're helping her try on her shoes. And you could tell her, you know, different things. Like, you can tell her, I'm sorry, lady, but your foot's just too big. You could tell her that if you want to. Or you could tell her, I'm sorry, ma'am, but the shoe's too small. See, the way you word it is everything. And Paul had this desire for them to be saved. And so he does this with tact. He speaks to them in the Hebrew language. He calls them brethren. And the word where it says fathers right there, it means esteemed fathers. You know, later we're going to see that he talks about the God of their fathers. He he appeals to the the Jewish element of where they're coming from. You know, and 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 it takes wisdom. The Bible says he who wins souls is wise. And so here's Paul, and and he's sharing his story. He's trying so hard to reach these people because... For them to get saved is the desire of his life. You know, Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, Paul said this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel 
is that they may be saved. That was his heart's desire, right? And as a matter of fact, if you read Romans 9, 1 through 3, you'll find that Paul basically said, I, I'd be willing to go to hell. So if that meant that they would go to heaven as a country. And so that was his desire. Of course, we know that, you know, it doesn't mean that the people that we want to get saved are going to get saved. They all have to make their own choice. I would venture to say here that if you have kids, that's the top of your list. You want your kids to be saved, but they have to make a choice. Israel had to make a choice, but that was Paul's desire, right? And then it leads to his defense. And so we read in verse 3, And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. I mean, here, here Paul uh, tactfully shares his story. And, um, you know, we usually call it a testimony, Make sure it's not a testimony, okay? Make sure you guys aren't exaggerating. No, but you're communicating. And I'm telling you this, man, whatever your story is, whatever your story is, there's power. Because it's true. Because God came into your life. And, you know, you, like I said, you have the BC days. And here's Paul sharing the, the BC days, you know, in verses 3 through 5. Paul just gives the facts appealing to the Jewish people that even though he was born in Tarsus, he was brought up there in Jerusalem, trained at the feet of a rabbi named Gamaliel. And so in Acts 5.34, we read that Gamaliel was a teacher of the law and he was respected by all the Jewish people. And so, you know, in looking at this right here, Paul mentions the fact he was taught according to the strictness of the Jewish law, that he was zealous for Judaism, just like they were there on that day. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to relate to them. And, and I'm telling you guys, man, it's so huge for us to have that heart. You know, one of the things I want to encourage you in is when you're telling your story, you, you know, some of you guys have a radical story. How many of you here did prison time? No, I'm just joking. I won't make you. You know, but man, you know, you did prison time. You did the crime. And you're like, well, I'm not going to sell anybody that because I'm so embarrassed about that. But you know what? Someone out there, out there is, has done prison time. And they're listening to you. And they're wondering, does God love me? Can God forgive me? And then you're a testimony. You're a trophy of God's grace. Yes, he can. You know, some of you out there, you know, you were abused or you struggle with anger. Man, big time before you're a Christian and God set you free. You know, you were addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever the case may be. You know, you didn't have a dad who was there. And you tell your story. You know what? Growing up, my dad was not there. But when I got saved, I found a heavenly father who's taken care of me. And when you tell that story, there's a little boy out there, there's a young man out there who needs to hear that. And what he's doing right here is he's relating to them. I know how you feel. I was right there too. I did the same thing. You're trying to kill me. I killed them. 
I went, oh, I had letters from the high priest. They can testify this is all true. I would not only arrest men, I would arrest women. I would compel them to blaspheme. And, and what he's doing is he's relating to them. Man, I know how you feel. I was there. And, and then something happened in my life. And we read it in verse 6. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus. At about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. And so I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. You know, and Paul's desire leads to Paul's defense. And what's his defense? His defense is just his story. It's his conversion. This is how I was before I was a Christian. And, and this is how I got saved. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, it's, you might think, well, I don't really have a testimony. Yes, you do. You know, even my wife, you know, she never got drunk. She never did drugs. She never did bad things, but she didn't know the Lord. And then one day she acknowledged her need for Christ, you know, and there was an emptiness inside of her. And Jesus came in and Jesus changed her that day from that day forward. And, and I'm telling you this, because a lot of times people don't think this through. If you haven't shared your testimony, then something's wrong. You know, three times in the book of Acts, we read of Paul's conversion. In Acts chapter 9, when he got saved, in Acts chapter 22, and we're going to see it again in Acts chapter 26. And we're like, well, why does he share all the details three times? And it's because God is saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to share your story. And this is my advice to you. One day, you get on your knees, and you go before the Lord, and you ask him, Lord, show me my story. Show me the way I was before Christ. Let me maybe put it down in a couple of paragraphs. This was my life before Jesus. And then, Lord, show, show me, help me to write it down maybe in a, in a couple of paragraphs right here. This is how I got saved. This is when a miracle took place. This is when the dead man started living and he found forgiveness. And then, Lord, maybe a couple more paragraphs. This is what God has done since my, in my life since then. And because I'm telling you this, man, you, if you're a Christian, you're a miracle. And the world needs to hear about the miracles that Jesus does. And that's what Paul is doing right here. He says, this is where I was before. And then one day, this is just how it all went down. I was, you know, coming to Damascus. I was going to arrest Christians. But then it was about noontime and this great light, think about it, brighter than the sun, appeared to him and, and he fell to the ground. And then he heard a voice and notice the voice, Saul, Saul, there in verse 7, why are you persecuting me? And the Lord called him, not just once, but twice. And sometimes the Lord does that, huh? Maybe in your life, he's called you and then you didn't answer. Or maybe you drifted away. Did he give up on you? No. 
He called you again and again and again because he loves you so much. He's not going to give up on you, man. And he's calling him Saul, Saul. But then he asks that question, and I'm always intrigued by that question, why are you persecuting me? You know, to me, when someone's killing people and someone's arresting people and someone's doing the things that Saul is doing, to me, I'd be like, what's up? You know, not just the, the, not the why, but the what. But for Jesus, it's the why. Why do people get drunk? And the answer is because they're looking for love. A love that only God can give them. You know, why do sometimes young men get violent and angry and they're filled with fury and hatred? It's because a lot of times they didn't have that relationship with their father that they needed to have. And see, all I'm saying is this, if you want to, you can just condemn the person for whatever it is. You know, maybe they were abused when they were a child and this is why they are what they are now. All I'm saying is that when you begin to ask questions like that, when you begin to search your own heart or even the heart of other people, not just what but why, then you begin to reach that place in their life, that, the heart where they need to be healed. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he's saying, why? Why are you doing this? And, and why, another thing is fascinating about that question is why are you persecuting me? You know, when you do it to the church, you do it to Christ. Keep that in mind next time you mistreat someone. You know, when you bless them, you're blessing Christ. That's what Jesus said. If you give them a cup of cold water, you're giving it to me. The le the, what you've done to the least of these, he said, when you visit them when they're sick or when they're in prison or when they're hungry or when they need clothes, you're doing it to Jesus. Because he's the head and we're the body. He's the groom. We're the bride. We're one. And in, in this question right here, you know, we're learning this thing. You know, Saul, here's the question. And, and I, if you could, I don't know if you, you guys have a good imagination or no? Can you guys kind of think this through? Okay, you're Saul and you're, I don't know if he was on a horse or not. You know, probably he was on a horse. The light comes down, he, you know, he knocks him to the ground. He hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and instantly he knows this light is the Lord. You know, the, the glory of the light of Jesus Christ shining down from heaven. Imagine the, the warmth of it. Imagine how it felt. And then hearing his voice, you know, he doesn't know yet who it is, but he knows it's the Lord. Whoever this is, this is the Lord. I'm experiencing God right now. And so he asks the question, well, who are you? Who are you? And that's when he hears those words that would echo on for the rest of his life and into eternity. I am Jesus of Nazareth. Imagine that. You know, and, and, and you know, here's the, the way that it works in life. You know, the Lord reveals himself to us, right? It's undeniable who Jesus is. Here's Paul. He's fighting against God. And he has a hunch that it's Jesus because the Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verse 5, that he's kicking against the goats. You know, you hear that voice, it's the voice of Jesus. And the voice of Jesus is saying, hey, it's time for you to, to commit your life completely to me. I don't just want Sundays, I want every day. I want all your heart. I want you to surrender everything to me. You can't live in sin if you want to be the church. 
And so, you know, there's the Lord, and you know it's a Jesus, and he's talking to you, right? And, and, and it's undeniable here, when you look at this whole thing, when you look at Christianity as a whole, it's undeniable who Jesus is. He's the light of the world. He's the most influential figure in human history, speaking the greatest words ever spoken, doing the greatest words ever done, you know, healing the lame and the, the blind man and making the mute, you know, to speak and the deaf to hear. And those were dead. He raised them from the dead. I mean, who else could do that? He walked on water. He fed, you know, 15,000 people with just a couple of fish and bread. And, and he calmed the storms. I mean, I mean, there's, it's undeniable who he is. The question is, will you believe? Will you live your life in light of who he is. And when Paul got not to the ground there on the dirt road toward Damascus, he had a decision to make. You know, I got my life and I got my religion and I got all the things that I'm involved in. And I've, if I want to, I can continue on because you know what? It's okay. But once he finds out who Jesus is, now he's got to make a decision. Because if, he, you know, if he's Lord and he follows him, then he loses everything else. You know, you might know that Jesus is Lord and he is God and he died on a cross for you. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus died on a cross for you, rose again? Do you know that? But there's another question. Do you live your life in light of that? Because while Paul was there lying on that dirt road towards Damascus, he had a decision to make. And it was just so cool to think and just to know and to read that he made the right decision because he said, Lord, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? There in, in verse 9, and those who were with me, indeed, they saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice. And what that probably means is they didn't understand what he said. And, and so in verse 10, he said, I, I said, what shall I do, Lord? And I believe in my heart that right there in that moment when he called Jesus Lord, he was saved. You see, because that's what the Bible says. So simple are the words of a saved soul. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's how he got saved. You know, this was his life before. This is how he got saved. And now he's under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ who tells him, go into Damascus. He wouldn't be the ringleader uh, of the war on Christians any longer. Now he had become one. And so he had to be led by the hand for the light of the Lord blinded him. But even in that, there was a purpose because now he'd be thinking about this whole thing in those days while he was blind. And so he continues to share his story in verse 12. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews, notice who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. In other words, he was healed of his blindness. And then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one. And hear the voice of his mouth. Notice, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, 
and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. All Paul is doing is telling his story. That's all he's doing. Of course, there's a lot, you know, here in this. You know, he's, again, doing his best to appeal to the Jews, mention the fact that Ananias is a devout man according to the law. He had a good testimony with the Jews there in Damascus, and he's the one that came to Saul, and he prays over him, referring to the God of their fathers. Notice it's very Jewish. He laid hands on him. He healed him of the blindness, baptized him. Remember, we've talked about this, you guys. You don't have to wait to speak in tongues to be baptized or to be a super saint. The moment you get saved, you then can be baptized. It doesn't save you. It's a picture of your salvation. It's a picture of the fact, you know, like you're washed away from your sins. You're not ashamed. You know, you're making the public confession and identification of who you are in Christ. Paul says, this is what happened to me. You know, I, I used to do this, and then, you know, Jesus Christ came and showed that he was alive. I called him Lord. He came into my heart. I got baptized. This is what happened to me. That's all he's doing. He's telling his story. And I would beg you, tell your story, man. Have the desire for people to get saved. That's where Paul was. He didn't want to play it safe. He didn't want to go into the barracks where he would be safe from the crowd that were trying to kill him. He wanted them to get saved. And that's the heart that we have to have, eyes to evangelize always. And you're like, well, I don't know verses. How many of you guys are like that? I don't know verses. I don't know theology. I don't know soteriology. Do you have a story? what you used to be, and then the, the moment that Christ came into your life, and, and maybe you're here and you're like, well, I can't tell my story, Manny, because I'm not perfect, and I don't got it all together, and I, and I'm, I still stumble sometimes. That's okay, we all do. You know, the Lord knows your heart, man. If you're doing it, you know, what they call it presumptuously, where, where you don't care, that's different. But if it's an honest effort, share your story, because sometimes even Christians need to hear that. I know I'm saved. I know I'm forgiven. I struggle sometimes. And the Lord will use your story. This is where Paul is. And he's just, man, not ashamed. He, what he's sharing in front of all these people, all these years, that's where he wanted to be in the temple courts. And, and in verse 15, I like what it says. Basically, that's what we're all called to do. Uh, For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. That's all it is. You tell people what you've seen, what you've heard, the things you've learned in the word, and God does the work from there. And so Paul continues in verse 17. Now it happened. He's just telling the story. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him, speaking of Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And so Paul didn't understand it. So, so I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and, and beat those who believe on you. And when the, the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. I mean, Paul's like, man, they know. They know the miracle of my life. How can they not believe? But the Lord says, get out of town. There in verse 21, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. 
And so it's interesting, when you harmonize Paul's life, you find that he was saved there on the road to Damascus. He spent three years in Arabia before returning to Damascus, then going to Jerusalem. But one day as he's there in Jerusalem, it's deep, 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 deep prayer, which is another message for us. I mean, talk about, I mean, it's a trip. He was in a trance. And you're like, what's that, Manny? I don't know exactly. I know it's more than a dream. I know it's less than an actual appearance. I believe it, it was something that happened to a man who was seeking God with all his heart. And then Jesus said, you need to leave. You need to you know, leave Jerusalem because they're not going to receive your teaching concerning me. And just to Paul, it just doesn't make any sense. Lord, they know who I was. I was the epitome of the enemy to Christians. How could I possibly become one? Unless you're real. How can they not believe? You want to know how they don't believe? Because we wonder, man, why don't people believe? Look what we read next. It says in, in verse 22, And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and they said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. You know, when all the evidence is there, you know, when the light of the world appears, you know, when Jesus Christ shows who he is, he died on the cross and he rose again, you know, you, you wonder why don't they believe. When they look at your life, man, and you used to, you were like fully engaged in gang lifestyle. You were fully engaged in the drugs and, and the sex and all that kind of stuff. And you couldn't stop drinking or whatever. Your marriage is now saved because of the fact that a miracle took place. And you wonder, why don't they believe? I mean, it's just boom. It's there in their face. And the answer is because of sin. See, right here in verse 22, it's interesting. They listened to him until that one word. What word? The word Gentiles. You know, and, and, and what was going on in, in the Jewish culture of that day was three things. Number one, they were engaged in religion. They were engaged in religion. You know, and, and so for them, in order for a Jew to get saved, they had this technicality that first, um, for a Gentile to be saved, he had to first become a Jew, then he could become uh, saved. You know, go through the circumcision and learn about the laws of Judaism, and then he could be saved. And so, you know, that was their religion. I mean, and, and the thing about it that was so important to them, if you think about it, if a, if a Gentile could be saved by simple faith in Christ, then in one sense it would eliminate the need for religion. And that's what they were fighting tooth and nail. It was such an emotional attachment. Have you guys ever met, uh, for example, not to pick on anyone in particular, but have you ever met a Catholic and you're trying to tell them about Jesus, and you know, they're like, no, I can't leave the Virgin Mary. Have you ever talked to some Catholics like that, or, or St. Christopher, or St. Jude, or whatever it is, and they have this emotional attachment, or no, I need to go and get the incense, or the Father, you know, he's got to bless me, I need the holy water, the stained glass windows, whatever, it's all, it's all a religion to them. They're not willing to let it go. And, and it's a crazy thing, because a lot of times, you know, the, 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 the drug addict, you know, the, 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 the girl who's working the streets, she'll come to Christ before they will. Why? Because of religion, right? 
And so the, the second thing that got in the way was their exclusion. You know, for the Jews, they had developed the mentality that only their race could be saved. It was a horrible thing, but we even see it back in the Old Testament. Just in case you're wondering, well, why? Some people wonder, well, why does God favor the Jews? He doesn't favor the Jews. He loves them, and they're assigned to the world, and he's going to continue to work with them. That's why they're back in the land today. But from day one, God chose the Jews so that they could be a light to the rest of the world, right? And so, you know, it's not that, you know, you know it was just them that could be saved, but for whatever reason, they harbored it in, and they said, you know what? This is just us, not the Gentiles, not the Moabites, not the Edomites, not the Canaanites. No, it's just us. And so, you know, they, they generally speaking, got caught up in religion, got caught up in exclusion. And then the last thing is that word abomination. To them, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but they believed that the Gentiles' sole purpose for existing was to fuel the fires of hell. And so imagine that, you know, and I, and I know you guys probably don't think that, but just in case you ever, ever, ever look out at that person out there on the street and you look down on them, rather than looking at them with heart of compassion, you know, you're disgusted with that individual or whatever, that sin or that sinner, understand that you become guilty of the same thing. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, you know, that's our heart, you guys. These guys, unfortunately, they had fallen into a place in their life where to them, you know, um, the Gentiles, oh, you know, you talk about the Gentiles, and now away with this guy. He's not fit to live. Imagine that. Satan had blinded them so bad. But now they're not open. And that's what happens. John chapter 3, it says the reason they don't come to Jesus, the reason they don't come to the light is because they love the darkness. At the end of the day, that's what ends up happening. And so in verse 23, it says, then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, can you picture that? I mean, this is crazy. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The commander said, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, well, I was born a citizen. And then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. You know, and this was Paul's story. You know, he, he, he's taken in, you know, because these guys are not open any longer and he says, okay, bind this guy. I'm gonna, we're going to scourge him. We're going to find out what's going on. You know, we're going to get to the bottom of this. But here's the problem. He's a Roman citizen. Roman citizens were, 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 had the benefit of a due legal process. And so you couldn't do that without trial, without you know, going through the whole thing that 
You need to establish whether or not he's really guilty or, or innocent. And so, you know, what that did, you guys, I don't know if you knew this, but man, you know, when you were scourged, you could be crippled, you could be killed. It was a cat of nine tails, leather strips with rocks and metal and glass and pieces of bone. And they would, you know, they would scourge these guys. Some of them would die. But Paul had work to do. So the Lord protects him and uses his Roman citizenship. And he says, you guys can't do that to me. I'm a Roman. And the guy's going to get him. He's all, oh, you are? And then the commander comes. I bought, I paid big money for mine. And Paul says, I was born a Roman citizen. And the guy backs off. God spares his life. Why? Because there's work to do. And to me, when I look at this, the last word is, is Paul's destiny. They denied Paul. You got Paul's desire, Paul's defense, Paul's denial, and that they denied his message, but then Paul's destiny. And do you think it's random that Paul was born a Roman citizen? Absolutely not. Because God knows before you were born exactly what he wanted you to do. The Bible says in Acts, it talks about how we have these pre-appointed boundaries and times and places where we live. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, the Lord told Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. You know, later Paul would tell Timothy the same thing. You know, he called us with a holy calling before time began. That's not just for prophets or pastors. That's for all of God's people. We all have a destiny. And he was born a Roman citizen. How was he born a Roman citizen? We don't know for sure, but some people believe that more than likely what happened was Paul's father served in the Roman army, served as a soldier for Rome, and he probably died. And then he began to put the pieces of the puzzle together. He didn't have death. He goes to religion, caught up in religion, so angry. And then you begin to see all the things that took place. He's a Roman. He's a Roman. He was born a Roman. And God uses that. You guys, you got to believe this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. you got to believe that with all your heart, that before you were born, that in the, in the ages in the past, eternity past, that God has a destiny for you. And what we see right here is Paul, a Roman citizen, God protecting him. God would use it, and God would use it for him. You know what he would eventually do? He would testify before the emperor so crazy man and so what about you god will use your life how much he uses your life is up to you i pray that today as christians we would surrender ourselves completely to him and i do pray that if you're here and maybe you you're not right with god you are a christian but you're you got one foot in and one foot out you are a christian but you're living in sin Listen, your sin will find you out and he would shout it from the mountaintops. We should have a healthy fear of God. God loves you. God will show you grace. He keeps calling you. Saul, Saul, Saul. He's not giving up on you. 
He's not giving up on you. But listen, we're not here to play church. We're not here for anyone to check off their list that they went to church today, like a social club. We're not here, you know, to come in and pretend like we're spending time with God and then go out there and live a different life. We're here because God wants all of us. God wants our whole heart. God wants to open the windows of heaven and bless your life. You know, we have choices to make. And if you think about it, Saul had no heart. Solomon had half a heart. I think most Christians have half a heart. But David had a whole heart. He had a whole heart for God. Not that you're perfect, man. None of us here are perfect. But you know whether or not you've given God all your heart. And that's all he asks. As we have communion today, if you haven't done that yet, if you don't understand the love of God, I pray that today you would know it. He demonstrated on the cross when he died for you. And that today, you know, it's a transaction that takes place right there where you sit. I can't do it. There's no one else that can be in between you and God. It's something that happens right there in your heart right now. Give it to him. Give him everything. As we have communion, that's what that's about. We examine our lives. And if there's anything that's not right, we give it to him because he's holy. We accept his forgiveness. We accept his mercy. We accept his offer for a new start in life. And then he meets us there. And I have a feeling that a lot of you guys here, you're called to be pastors. You're called to be leaders. You're called to impact your community in a way that you don't even begin to understand. You're called to more than you've been living. And God wants it to start now.